0: The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680, WPTF, and 98.5 FM. This is the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, hosted by founder Sarah Coates, a licensed clinical mental health counselor. In this podcast, Sarah and her team of therapists will dive deep into many topics on mental health care. Here's your host, Sarah Coates. Hello and welcome to the Turning Your Life Around podcast. I'm joined today by Larry Ellsworth, a licensed clinical social worker. He is located in our Garner 180 office, Larry, we're so glad to have you. I know you have many, many, many years of wisdom and experience being a clinical social worker. So if you would just share with the audience how you got into the field of social work.
1: Well, that's probably a long story. It'll take the whole podcast. I started out in Wayne County in Goldsboro way back many, many years ago and worked there for two years. And then I came to Wake County and I like to tell people I've had four jobs, one with Wayne County, one with Wake County for... 30 some years while i was there i st- developed and ran a sex abuse treatment program that started out as just working with adolescents that had been charged with sexual offenses and kind of expanded to where we had the kids who'd gotten in trouble and the victims of the sexual abuse, which were often in the same family, and then working with the parents as well. And did that through 2013 when the state farmed out all the public mental health programs. And then I worked at a private hospital for a little bit, which was my third job. And then my current work is with 180 counseling which has been a a great segue for my career. So a lot of what I've done is work with teenagers with sexual behavior issues. And like I said, that started out with a a sex offense charge through juvenile court. So I do still do some of that, but I know a lot of social workers and just people and just a lot of people now have been doing this a long time. But over the last couple of years, Sarah, I've gotten more and more kids that the sexual behavior problem is that parents call or the social worker calls or, or another clinician says, oh, I got a kid that's 13 and they're addicted to pornography. And whether they're truly addicted or it's a compulsion is we could, that's another discussion. But anyway, they're viewing a whole lot of pornography. And I was aware of this many years ago when I started doing this, kids that had gotten in trouble for sexual behavior, pretty much all of them, they'd been looking at some sort of pornography. That doesn't mean that looking at pornography leads to sexual behavior issues, but it's always a component. Lots and lots of kids can look at it and they don't get in trouble for, they don't sexually offend, but it may cause other difficulties. What's happened is over the past five or 10 years, just the ease of accessibility. So everybody's got our little rectangular devices in our pockets. And I'm horrified when friends or neighbors or colleagues or people or clients, or the kid says, I'm in fourth grade and I have a phone. And so I'll ask The parent, what kind of controls does your parent have? And then I'm super horrified when the parent says, well, my son doesn't need any controls or my daughter doesn't. So I've realized that it's a huge thing in terms of the kids that I come across for treatment, just how skewed, that's S-K, their thoughts are and their impression of what kind of normal or healthy sexual behavior is and and kind of what part sex plays in a relationship and things like that. So unfortunately, kids are getting a ton of information and a lot of kids, their main source of sex education is pornography. And it's just the ease of access is just amazing. And that's that's where I've found myself doing a lot of work these last years, Sarah. And what really jumped out at me when you first asked about doing podcasts, I'd had like three referrals come to me that police had come to the door of the house of the 14 or 13 year old. One, the SBI, Homeland Security, the local police department raided the house because they had knew that somebody in the home was downloading child pornography, which is a whole other rabbit hole that sometimes kids get into. But I had Apex police. So that was in like a two month period back in May to July. And I thought, okay, something's going on here. When you inquired about doing podcasts, I thought like, oh, this might be a good topic for people to hear.
0: In light of COVID, and now we've all had these kids on virtual learning for almost a year, give or take a few months in the summer, and they're just constant access to online platforms. I can only imagine how much increase there is in teenagers viewing pornography.
1: Yeah, well, anecdotally, because I don't have, official research statistics, but I have kids that parents say that kids are. The most extreme case I had was a 10-year-old girl. She was in fifth grade, and she was up in a room doing her online homework, and she would flip over to a screen, and she was viewing pornography. It got to the point the mom discovered it finally, she looked in the browser history or whatever, but the girl had been chatting with, cause she ended up in a chat room. She was chatting with some guy who was asking her her address. And that all started with another kid at school told her to type S-E-X in your search engine. It makes sense that kids are sitting at a computer all day and if they're not watching YouTube or skateboard video, whatever, they're probably watching something sexual as well.
0: As a parent, that's just so scary especially because if you're a working parent and you have kids at home doing school virtually, yeah. you literally cannot sit on top of them all eight hours a right. day. Exactly. And you just, yeah. You're talking about these parent controls and how valuably important that is for parents to be monitoring their child's online activity. And I'm guilty of it too. So many of us that just, there's so many things to monitor and sometimes you just forget.
1: Exactly. I don't even try to keep up. There's a people ask me what app should they get. And there's, there's a few of them out there, but they're only as good as you're going to use them and kind of look into it and see what, I mean, there's ones where you can, you can check everything the kid texts or views, but I've had parents tell me that, yeah, they, they have something, but they don't check it very often. Kids are very tech savvy too. They are. And the parent will take away their phone or their laptop or their iPad. And then they're accessing stuff through their game system. If something's hooked to the internet, you can get where you want to go. A crazy statistic. I was at a conference a couple of years ago and this Australian researcher, this was four years ago. He said there's about a billion websites and a third of them are pornography. And pretty much they estimate now a third of all online traffic is, is porn related. And the age at which kids are accessing it is younger and younger so the study i'm looking at now says the average age now of first exposure to pornography is 11 years old and kids for the age of 10 to 18 year olds that are looking at pornography 22 percent of that kids who are 10 years old it's not like when i was a teenager it's like your friend had a playboy magazine or, right. or his dad had a whole collection i was like whoa it's gold mine let's hang out at bob's house even then it, that was just frontal nudity which is like so mild kids are accessing like hardcore pornography, which is very, very graphic and, and kids younger and younger are accessing that stuff. So it's just becoming a norm. So most teenagers are getting a lot of their sexual information from online pornography. And then, then the thing, so when I'm working with kids, I'm I'm saying so sort of what's the message in pornography? What what is it teaching you? And they go they think like oh I don't know. There's no message there. And I'm um, saying, well, yeah, think about it. So I said a kid last week and he's looked at a ton of pornography and he, and he thought and thought and he said, well, that what he learned is it's mainly about the guy's pleasure. So it's mainly about that the man has pleasure. And his thought, his second impression was the girls might be in pain and then they like it. That's kind of his starting point. He's 14 and that's his starting point for what like a sexual relationship is like.
0: I'm just sitting here shaking my head, listening to you as a mom. It's so unfortunate that these children are being, A, exposed to this at such a young age. Their brains cannot possibly sort through what they are viewing. No. Some for the first time, and especially if they've not had any earlier education about sexuality sexual behaviors and this Mm -hmm. is their first exposure it to me it's like it has to be information overload their little brains are trying to sort through all this information what do you think the impact is on a teenager's brain
1: i mean it's hard to say and i think there's just a giant social experiment going on if you think about it the kids who are like my daughters are in their early 20s that age group down maybe a little older but that that generation has has always had computers around and the internet, and we really don't know like what the impact on developing brains is like with video games and sitting in front of like kids that play video games eight hours a day, like what's that can be? Um, so really, you, you don't know. It shapes their thoughts about what is what's just normal and okay. Just the idea of texting and asking for nude pictures. I mean, that's just a normal thing. I've had lots of high school kids tell me, not even ones that are in any trouble for sexual behavior, but they say it's just a normal thing. You're texting with a girl, you may or may not know her, but then you're going to ask to see if you can see a picture of her boobs. And maybe she will, maybe she won't. It's just like a crapshoot. If they don't, it's like, okay. Some of the researchers feel like just some kids have viewed pornography a bunch and it just kind of desensitizes them, and then like oh a nude picture. That's like nothing.
0: Yeah, that's exactly that, what I was thinking of was the desensitization that's happening.
1: For girls, this research was surveys because like you're nobody's gonna sign their kid up <laughs> to view pornography in a research study. So so they do like these surveys and a lot of them are in England and some not so much in the United States because we're so prudish over here. But girls, so it shapes their attitudes, body image stuff. So they think a boy's only going to like me. These are just cliched almost. Without porn, girls are going to think, well, boys are only going to like me if I'm you know, sexual or kind of put out as we said in the in the old days. So it's body image. I got to look like these women I see in, in these porn videos. And it also influences what they think they're supposed to do in terms of sexual behaviors. Girls feel like that they have to do the things that shown in, in the porn videos, various types of sexual activities. Another concerning thing is half the boys and 30, 40% of girls who viewed pornography viewed as a realistic depiction of sex. Right. Then they're so disappointed when it's not.
0: <laughs> you know, Larry, I can't tell you how many older adolescent, young 20, female clients I've had over the years, who share with me about their first sexual experiences and, or I'm hearing about their types of relationships. Maybe they're in a really sordid relationship right now. And as they're describing it, my inclination is this is an abusive relationship that you were in, or your first experience sexually was an abusive type of situation. They don't even know that they don't realize what they were in or what kind of relationship they're Mm -hmm. in now. And it's because Their first experience sexually might be with a male adolescent who is getting his idea of what that should look like and be like from pornography. And so these girls are reporting these very sordid situations Mm -hmm. and they're consenting, but they don't even know that they're consenting to something that... Is not bringing them the pleasure they're seeking. It's very abusive in all different levels in my brain. These girls don't understand, and it's because their male counterparts are viewing this pornography.
1: But trends in the last five to 10 years is, is more towards this power and domination and almost physically abusive one girl, many guys, kind of pushing women to the physical limits of. Their body can endure, and so if you're looking at that for a number of years, and you're 14, 15, you know, 16, that kind of sticks with you. And then there's even some little bit of research that hasn't been shown that some kids they get to be young adults in their 20s, and their main sexual experience has been viewing pornography and and masturbating, and then they get into relationships and they their real-life relationship doesn't quite match up what they've filed, so to speak, in their brain, and they're not as functional as they'd like to be.
0: There's no doubt that this early pornography viewership is certainly problematic, and it is messing with our children. I have a question. Can teenagers be arrested for accessing pornography?
1: No. So what can happen, though, is this This has happened with, I do evaluations in some treatment with adults who have gotten arrested for downloading or, or possessing child pornography. They don't start out that way. What happens is for the adult or some of the adolescents, it's, you're always looking for something new and exciting, how your brain works, your pleasure centers, the dopamine, those are the dopamine receptors and, and they're, the dopamine receptors get overstimulated, so to speak. And they, and so you need something more exciting. So, and there's always something else more and more exciting to find on the internet, people start looking for more and more risky things. And then for some of these adults I've evaluated, they just go down this rabbit hole, and they really aren't legitimately sexually attracted to children, but that's what got them going, so to speak.
0: It's like Um, the next layer of stimulation they're seeing. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was like the other stuff got boring. They got satiated on it. But for teenagers, what what a few of them have told me is, so some kids have had a couple that have referred boys, so they're 13 or 14-year-old boys, and they're horrified because they were looking at gay pornography. Well, it turns out these two boys were trying to figure out their sexuality and thought they might be gay. And so they were looking at it as a form of like, just trying to figure out their sexuality. So there's that aspect. So even these kids I mentioned earlier that the local police department or, or this other kid, Guy, the FBI was at his house. It turns out the 15-year-old was, you know, they thought maybe an adult was. So they they just told they they referred them to me or they referred them to treatment. So those kids were looking at other teenagers. So by definition, federal law, if if a person's under 18, then they're a child in terms of sexual content. So no, they don't get arrested. Now there have been some cases in other states where an 18 or 19-year-old was arrested for sending pictures of his girlfriend who was 15 or 16 and sent it to a friend, or they broke up and he got angry. Then he sent it to a whole bunch of friends and like servers or across state lines. And then that guy is arrested for second-degree exploitation of a minor or manufacturing pornography. So kids, they get in trouble with their parents, hopefully. Yeah, but they don't get arrested, no.
0: So the parents... What what can parents be doing to monitor, help protect, educate their children, all of the above?
1: The main thing is to be having conversations with your kids starting when they're really little and they're curious about, like how, where puppies come from. That's when you can start talking about dog reproduction. And when they ask where my little brother came from, you start having those conversations about sex and sex education and human reproduction. I'm always astounded even today At the number of kids I work with, I do an exercise with them where we talk about sources of sexual information. So we list out all all your sources and then sort of what the information was, what you thought about it and how it affected your behavior. And they'll go through and they'll say usually pornography is the one, friends, school. I got like the talk in fifth grade about puberty, then learn about human reproduction in middle school. And maybe health class, and and then last on the list for so many kids is their parents. I just astounds me. I've, I'm at a loss for words. The best thing you could be doing is is talking to your kid. If if they're you know, and then talk about rules about the internet and accessing what you're allowed to access, and and then if you feel you need to, most parents should have some amount of monitoring of internet activity. But I think the main thing is just being able to have a healthy, helpful conversation with your kids about sex and sexuality. It's a uncomfortable topic because most parents, also didn't have those conversations with their parents. So there's really not a template for a lot of people.
0: That's what I was just going to say. So many parents are uncomfortable talking about sex and sexuality with their children because no one talked to them about it. They learned about it in the maybe 60s, 70s, or 80s, and it was a lot softer, quote-unquote, than nowadays.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Do you have any books or resources or recommendations that parents can go to so that they are able to openly have these conversations conversations with their children and their teenagers?
1: You can, you can find that online too. Um, so it's pretty, there's a lot of stuff out there. I don't really recommend specific stuff to people because everybody's values are different. I've discovered a long time ago that what is okay for Mrs. Jones clashes with Another parent's views about when and what the content should be. There's a lot of helpful information out there. You can just look up sex education. You're probably going to get some porn sites as well when you do that. But you can, the federal government has stuff, and I think SAMHSA and it's it's there's a lot that's available you can get it at an actual bookstore
0: i think your main point is parents need to be having these conversations yeah exactly and kids need to be having this conversation with a trusted adult
1: exactly so my what i was going to say is you want to be talking to your kid and something i always ask kids as well is you know if you because I, I say, do you do you think, feel like you have enough sex education information? A lot of times they go, Oh yeah, I got plenty. I said, Well, if you have a question, who would you ask? And a lot of times it's not their parent. And I said, Well, ask you know somebody who's got reasonably factual information. Like don't ask your friend because they're probably where you're at. What I tell parents is you want to be the person that your kid comes to, and not like a website you know, unless it's a helpful one, but you don't want them to rely on their friend or some porn website to get their information.
0: I know that young people don't always want to talk to their parents about sex, sexuality. So I think it's very important for families to have another trusted adult in their inner circle that their kids can talk to, be it an aunt, a best friend, a neighbor, whomever, but another identifiable adult that their kids can go to to ask these very candid open questions without maybe the awkwardness of talking to mom or dad about yeah, sex and sexuality exactly yeah and
1: that's the other part of my conversation with kids if they say well i'd ask my friend i walk them through. Well, who's somebody else? Just like you're saying, is it a lot of kids have a favorite aunt or uncle that they'll go to? And and I've had lots of kids say, well, I wouldn't ask my dad, but I'd ask my uncle because he's cool.
0: Well, this is really helpful. I hope it's been very helpful for the audience. And if you're listening today and you're parenting a teenager and you know that there's some pornography viewing or you need help navigating this area of life with your child or adolescent, feel free to reach out to Larry Ellsworth, licensed clinical social worker and specialist in problem sexual behaviors for adolescents. Reach out to him in our Garner location of 180 Counseling. Thanks again, Larry. Thank you, Sarah. You've been listening to the Turning Your Life Around podcast. Presented by 180 Counseling, with five triangle locations to serve you. Learn more at 1-80counseling.com. This has been an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM, a Curtis Media Group station.